0: Wonderful counselor, and that's what I want to talk about this morning. This wonderful counselor that we have in the Lord. I've asked Gary Johnson to come and to to open with the reading of the scripture this morning. So, Gary,
1: good morning, everyone. If you'll stand for the reading, the reading is from Isaiah, starting in the first verse Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Nepeti, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You will have enlarged the nation and increased their joy, Then skip down to six, for upon us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government will be upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Thank you, Lord, for your word.
0: This is a, uh, a very famous passage of Scripture about the coming of Messiah into our lives and into our world. And I'd like to, as I mentioned, meditate really on two words this morning. Those two words are, are uh, wonderful, counselor, counselor. And uh, Christmas is about wisdom. Christmas is about wonder, the wonder of what all this is about. And we're going to look at this. But first of all, when we think of Christmas, Christmas is about wisdom. Uh, Jesus, the child that's born in a manger, is a counselor. What does that mean? When we say he is, he is counselor. A counselor is a source of wisdom. We've gone to counselors, some of us have, and I have, and you have, and uh, since he is mighty God, he is the source of all wisdom. and So he is the counselor of counselors. And he comes into verse one, this is the ninth chapter, he comes into verse one into a world which is, the scripture says, very dark. It's dark and it's confused. And it's interesting here as we take a look at this. The world embraces Christmas all over. The whole world embraces Christmas. Uh, in a way, it's never embraced Good Friday, never embraced Easter, and I think it's because the world sees Christmas as affirming. Now Dr. Charlick and Dora Mae, they traveled all over the world with, uh, with mission groups and whatnot and, and he, as a matter of fact, has mentioned this several times, that wherever they go, everybody always celebrates Christmas. They don't know what it is, but they celebrate, isn't that right, Dick? Everybody celebrates Christmas all over the world. It's about peace, it's about goodwill, and isn't that nice? <laughs> you know? And that's what Christmas is to people. It's goodwill, it's peace, it's good, it's, you love everybody, it's, it's nice. Actually, the message of Christmas is incredibly confrontational. Christmas says the world's wisdom has failed. That's what it means It's what Christmas is saying to us. Let me give you an example of this. When my kids were were little, I'd be upstairs working on something, uh, and they'd be downstairs, and you'll find this shocking, but sometimes they wouldn't get along. And uh, You've never had that happen at your house, but it's happened at my house. And The first thing you do when your kids are fighting, and you're upstairs, and they're downstairs, is you try to get them to fix it themselves, right? You don't want to go down the stairs. And so you send your advice down the stairs and you send down your word and you say, share your choice, right? Um, Take turns. It's like a foreign language to them. You know, like, they've never heard this before ever. It's a revolutionary idea that really never had entered their minds. Now, if that doesn't solve it and it doesn't work, you say what? Don't make me come down there, right? You've all said it. Don't don't look Don't make me come down there myself. You're not going to like it, you know. If they couldn't solve it eventually, my word had to become flesh. <laughs> it had to become incarnate on the first floor from the second floor because they couldn't fix it themselves. Right, and that right. The message of Christmas is God had to come downstairs. He had to come into our world. We've always had plenty of advice. We've had wise men. We've had sages, politicians. You know, we can do it ourselves. We're a little bit proud. You know, we can do. We can take care of this world ourselves. We're, we're we know what we need to do. I like the story uh, I heard once of Muhammad Ali, who was uh, in his prime, and as he was about to take off on an airplane flight. Uh, uh, the stewardess came to him and reminded him that he needed to put on and fasten his seatbelt. And he came back to her, He's very brash about it, he says, Superman don't need no seatbelt. You know? And the stewardess came back at him and said, Superman don't need an airplane either. (laughs) Right? Dolly was humbled, and he fastened his belt, and they went forward. Mankind is like that. We don't need you. Right? We don't need you. We think we're so modern. We're so advanced in our thinking. We're not like those ancients. We can do this, but the wisdom of the world is inadequate to deal with the problems. God had to come. He had to come. Nothing less than the presence of God in our world. The death and the resurrection of our Lord we need him. Christmas is an absolute affront to the world's wisdom. An absolute affront to the wisdom of the world. The worldview is real simple. We all know what this is. It's the idea that everything has a natural cause. Everything. We, we, all we've got to do is figure it out. Well, we, we got science. We can do this. We can handle this. Christmas destroys that. Christmas destroys the world's idea of power. Let me give you a quick understanding of that, that, that we're all aware of. What, what if you set your goal for your life, and we all set goals for our life, and said, 2,000 years from today, uh, I'd like three quarters of the human race to know my name? Right? I'd like a quarter of the population of the world to center their life on me. I want my teachings to be the most influential teaching in the history of humanity. I'd like whole civilizations built on my teachings. How would you do that? How would you do that? You might hire a consultant or an advisor and say, I'd like a strategic plan that 2,000 years from today, I'll be the most influential person that ever lived and I'll tell you one thing they will not tell you to do. They will not say, first, get born in a stable amongst the manure and the urine of the animals in a little town in the middle of nowhere. They wouldn't say that. They would not say, be born in a manger. They would not say, spend your entire life outside of all of the power structures on earth, the power networks, the economic networks, the political networks, the academic influence Didn't get executed. Didn't get executed in your career in absolute disgrace. You see, the world looks at Jesus and says, that will never be a life that changes the world. But it did. But it did. But it was. Why? Because Christmas made foolish the wisdom of the world. Now, when Gabriel came to Mary and announced Christmas to her, what did she do? Now we know, well, I and mean, we're so familiar with the story. There's this thought out there; it kind of angers me. I get upset with it. Of of, and and it's, and it's the clergy, it's the ministers, and I don't know what's wrong with with, with the churches today and some of the things they say. And you'll hear a minister, and they'll say, and you'll hear this on the news. I, I, I believe the stories uh, of of Jesus' birth were all fiction. Have you heard that? Ministers have said this. You know, I don't believe in the incarnation. I don't believe in the virgin birth. I don't believe that he was deity. And if you believe those things literally, you're a fundamentalist. You're a fundamentalist. You're you're one of the big problems in the world today. You know, kind of rigid. You're 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 this, this thing of objectional truth. You, you, you know. But they still celebrate Christmas in their churches. I don't understand that. They you know why, how they do that? They still celebrate Christmas. And, um, and you ask them, well, why, why would you celebrate Christmas if you don't believe any of this? They say, well, you know, you have to reinterpret these stories. You have to reinterpret what's being said here. So when you see Jesus born in a manger, I see God likes to work through little people. That's what it means. God likes to work through the common people, the, uh, the, 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 the little people. God likes to work through the outsiders, the marginalized. That, that really warms my heart. It just warms my heart. But, and they will go on to say, and I have heard this, I can't really believe this miracle stuff. I can't believe miracle stuff. See, what they're doing is they're reinterpreting Christmas to fit the wisdom of the world. But when Gabriel, listen, when Gabriel comes to Mary in the passage in Luke, says, the virgin shall conceive, right? Even though you haven't had sex with anyone, even though you're not having sex with anybody, you're going to get pregnant. And what does she say? You know we're we're so condescending with the ancient people. You know just because it was back there, we we're we're smarter now. We we know better than this, and we say they're so primitive, they're so so naive about things. No, the world is the world is the world is the world. The world is the world. We're all people of the world. When Gabriel said to Mary, "You're going to get pregnant, even though you're not having sex with anyone. You haven't had sex with anyone." Did she say, ah, the true meaning of Christmas, you know? God works through little people. No. When, when Gabriel said that to Mary, even though you're not having sex with him, you're going to have a pregnant, she said what any of you would say. What? <laughs> what? What are you talking about? Are you crazy? You know, Luke 1:29, it says, she was greatly troubled. I, mean, I would be too. Greatly troubled. The child born through me is going to be who? Who? What are you talking about? When you think about that night. In other words, Christmas shattered her paradigm of what worldly wisdom was. It just shattered it. What is possible? What is impossible? What can happen? Christmas says this is God coming into the world. So Gabriel actually said this to the, her in Luke 1.37. With God, nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible with God. God becoming human, that's what the Christmas story is all about. That's what it's all about. He's coming downstairs. <laughs> He's, it, it, was, it was the word now made flesh. He's coming downstairs. The world doesn't believe that. Doesn't believe it. Uh, A life like Mary's couldn't possibly produce the most influential uh, figure in history. Can't do that. But it can, and it did. And it does. And it has in my life. And it has in your life. He, He has come into our world. His world, really. You say, well, God can't be human but he was, and he came in the person of Christ. The infinite can't possibly become finite. It's impossible, but it happened in Christ. Christmas made foolish the wisdom of the world. A little side note here just before I move on. We're not against worldly learning. We don't stick our head in the sand and to things that are going on around us and understanding the world in which we live. But we don't buy into worldly wisdom. There's a difference. Learning and wisdom, there's a difference here. It's, it's a paradigm that says everything has a natural cause. We're in control. We're in charge of things. We can deal with our problems on our own. Uh, look, I love philosophy. I read science. I love these things. Uh, I'm into, into that. There, there are three things that the human race needs desperately. Three things that worldly wisdom cannot give. And here they are. Number one, you need to be able to face death with certainty, confidence, and even joy. You need to be able to face death with certainty, confidence, and joy. Do you have that? Do you have that? You might not think you need it, but you will. And you younger people you don't think about it so much, but when you're my age, I'm thinking maybe, what, 10 more years? I mean, think, think about that. 10 more years I got? You start thinking different. Your mind thinks different as you get older. You might not think that's important, but it will become very important to you in your life and how you think about, about things. We all have an appointment with death. Secondly, you have to live with your own past. You have to live with your own past. You have to have peace of consciousness. The things that you've done, a deep self-acceptance in your life. No matter what you've done, even if you've murdered someone like Paul, you have to have a, a deep understanding of your own past and a, that you live with that and you can live with that. Then thirdly, you have to be able to forgive your enemies. Even if you've been harmed terribly in your life. From the heart, 100%. We can't even forgive our friends sometimes. Or our families sometimes. We have to be able to forgive our our enemies. We have to face death, we have to live with our past, and we have to forgive our enemies. Do you think philosophy can do that? Then you don't know philosophy. Then you don't know philosophy. Do you think Literary theory can give that to you, or critical theory can, of course not. This noise that's going on today in our world, these, you know, about pronouns and, 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 and binary and unbinary, I mean, it's nonsense. Where's peace? Where's joy in this? What does that have to do with connecting to Almighty God? What does it have to do with anything? Tim Keller, talking about how Christianity is spreading to the third world, you know, in Asia, and Latin America, and in Africa, growing 10 times faster than the population. What is that? What is that? People in the alleyways and in the villages of, of, the, of the world are not studying Plato. They're not studying critical theory. They're coming together to study the Bible, That's what's happening out there in the third world. They're coming together to study the Bible. The gospel is teaching them to face death. The gospel is teaching them to to face and deal with their conscience of what's happening in their life. The gospel is breaking their addictive habits that they have and putting families together and healing entire villages. It's this wonderful foolishness of God. It's this wonderful foolishness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God in a manger, this poor carpenter, God with arms stretched out, dying on the cross, his life ebbing out, sacrificing for the world. Wisdom from above answering the deepest, most profound questions that we have in our life. Jesus gives people what the wisdom of the world has never produced and can't produce. Christmas, first of all, means wisdom. Wisdom. Wisdom of this world is foolishness. So he's a counselor. Secondly, you use that word wonderful. He's not just a counselor. He's a wonderful counselor. Wonderful. The word "wonderful" the word "counselor" really have been put together, and you can do that. It's that's fine, but they're really separate. There's really five things that he's talking about here. If you look at them, there's five. Wonderful being one, counselor being another. Christmas is about wonder. It's about wonder. This season is about wonder. You know, there's a tendency to look right past these words. Right, they're they're just words on a page, and you know, uh, look at that word "wonderful." It's the word "hele." in the, in the hebrew it means out of the ordinary it's out of the ordinary wonderful because it's divine outstripping what we can comprehend wonderful when you take a look at these five terms and they're they're on the screen for you there from verse 6 they're just amazing jesus is one wonderful number 2 he's counselor he's the true source of wisdom He's three mighty God, and the Hebrew word is gabao for that, which, which means he's a warrior. You know, he's, the, he's the knight in shining armor that comes. He's the one who faces overwhelming odds and wins and saves towns and saves people. Fourth thing, he's everlasting father, which talks about relationship, that we come into relationship with this individual. He's gabao, hero. This hero, gabao, is your dad. You're part of this family. And then lastly, he's Prince of Peace. He's the Prince of Shalom, Prince of Peace, Shalom. Shalom means full economic, spiritual, physical health. It's bigger than just peace. It's peace in all facets of life. It's wholeness in all of life. It means Jesus is not just there to get you this wonderful relationship with him and deal with your inside problems of your life. He's here to create a whole new heaven and a whole new earth. It's bigger than you. This, this coming of the Christ child is bigger than you think. Get rid of world poverty, injustice, violence, wars. Read Revelation. He puts an end to all these things. Disease, death is no more. And when you know that's who the baby is, the baby born in a manger. Then we've got to ask the question: Why aren't you and I living better? <laughs> why aren't we living much differently than we do? So let's let's be honest about this. You know, I I, I got to tell you, I got some problems. You know, not with you, with me. I got problems. So we believe this, but we're just as anxious as other people about things, you know? We struggle with self-esteem just like everybody else. About me, about me. Me, 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 me. You know? We're just as materialistic as those who don't believe in Jesus. How can we believe in the Prince of Shalom and be materialistic as those who think This is all there is. How can we have feelings, our feelings hurt so easily? And we do. We get our feelings hurt about things so easily. How can we be so upset with criticism, get down in our spirits and in our hearts and our lives, and be struggling like as much as the people who say, I'm just here by accident? How can we do that? When you believe that through the blood of Jesus, through the blood of Jesus, if it was God's blood shed on the cross for you, He loves you that much. God loves you that much. God cares for you that much. He brings you into a family relationship. If we believe these things, why aren't we different? And I'll tell you why. I think. I think. How do we make these wonderful things, these wise truths operative in our lives? So you live it with with wonder. That every day is a wonder. It's a gift. Every breath is a wonder and a gift. Do you know what wonder is? To wonder. He's a wonderful counselor. It's Involuntary praise. Involuntary praise. I think we all understand the importance of praise. We just sang about adoring him in our songs that we sing and what praise is. Jonathan Edwards looked at the difference between religious people, he talked about, who, in his words, used God, using his words here, and Christians who were born again and had the experience of grace. His conclusion is, he says, the big difference is praise for those who use God and those who have experienced grace. The big difference, he says, is praise, praise. Everybody petitions God. Everybody prays to God, give me this, give me that, help me. But only people who want God for God, only want God for himself, who have this experience of his grace love to praise God. They love to praise God. Love to sing to God. C.S. Lewis, when he was becoming a Christian, he struggled with this whole idea of God. And and he was looking in the Bible, and he sees this over and over and over again, that God is commanding people to praise him. And he sees this, and he's looking at it. He's commanding us to adore him, to, to glorify him, you know? And Lewis said these words, and I'm quoting him. I know people who like to be praised. Everybody hates them. Hmm. What a stuck-up God this is. Then his book, Reflections on the Psalms, which I recommend to you, he says this, The most obvious fact about praise whether of God or anything else, had escaped me. I didn't get it, he's saying here. I had never noticed before that all we enjoy spontaneously overflows with praise. Everything we enjoy overflows in praise. That whenever you enjoy something, you have to praise it. You praise it, you know. The world rings with praise all the time. Praise for this, praise for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if you've been following the the uh, the soccer thing. It's all about how wonderful this is, and you know, it, 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 the world rings with praise. Uh, lovers praising each other, you know, my my girlfriend, my boyfriend, praising each other. They're they're just oh, they're just so wonderful. You know. Uh, Readers, did you read this book? You gotta read this book. You really gotta read this book. It's unbelievable. It'll speak to your heart. Read this, read this, read this book. Walkers praising the countryside. They've been walking, they say, Yo, it's just beautiful out today. Praising of the weather. Good weather today. I like it. We can have about a thousand more these days. Praising the weather, wines, actors, cars. Horses, colleges, children, flowers, mountains, we praise, 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 praise. We praise these things. And have you noticed how the humblest and the most balanced minds praise the most? The humblest and the most balanced minds praise the most, while malcontents praise the least. You hear, hear what I'm saying? It's why some of us, we're stuck in our faith. We're stuck where we're at with our faith with God. Good critics find something to praise even in that which is imperfect. Bad critics continually narrow the joy in your life the healthy, humblest praise often, the spiritually unhealthy, find fault. Find fault. How are you doing? How you doing? Are you healthy spiritually? Lewis said that the first thing he realized was praise is a sign that There's something right inside your heart. That's simple, isn't it? Praise is a sign that there's something right within your heart. Praise seems to be the inner health made audible. But more than that, and I I think that's true, but more than that, he realizes praise is also a means to get more healthy. (laughs) It's not just expressing what's in you, but it's a way to get more healthy. Praise is the way to get more healthy with your life in the inner being. Lewis says, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses, but it com- completes the enjoyment. You hear, you hear what he's saying there? That's powerful. Not just that we praise what we enjoy, but it expresses and completes the enjoyments of our life. I'm praising the Lord. I'm praising the Lord. I'm delighting in it. I'm enjoying it, but it's also completing me. You know? It's not, it's not, out of compliment, that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are, how wonderful they are. The delight in that person is incomplete until it's expressed. Until they hear it from the other. I'll bring this into my own life with my wife. Uh, and I'm, and I'm just learning these things, you know, from the experiences I'm experiencing and whatnot. That I can sit in my little chair and I can watch what's going on and see things. And then, uh, and I think to myself, I love you. I love you. <laughs> but it doesn't do any good. For me to think it here is no good to her. So, 15, 20 times a day. I say, hey, I love you. I'm not going to leave you. I'm here. I love you. I love you. just before we go to bed I walk around and I get in her face right down in her face rubber nose with my nose and I think um, I said I always thought with with what she's experiencing the, the struggle that I want her to go to sleep with a smile so I get that I get going with her and I said I love you baby girl Again, again, it's the expression of that to the other person. A, a movie picked that up a little while ago. You know, You, you Complete Me, you remember that movie? You Complete Me. This is, that's what we're talking about. Praising God is the completeness of what you're feeling inside. It's coming out, it's completing who you are. So we, we 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 speak that way to God. That's the reason why when you really love a book or you really love a song or a piece of art and you really love this place or you love this person, you desperately want to grab somebody and say, "Look at this." Look at this. Look at how wonderful this is. Don't you think it's great? Don't you think it's great? you're praising it to them. Why? Because you can't fully enjoy it unless you praise it. We praise what we enjoy and that praise expresses and completes our enjoyment of God. It's up here, it's up here. Express it. We express it. We express it in a lot of different ways. This helps me understand the, the Christian doctrine of heaven, actually. When I think about heaven, we, we say, well, you know, what about heaven? Don't understand the heaven. It's a state where angels, right? And men and women are perpetually praising God. Why do you think that is? What do you think is going on there? In perfect love with God, right? Singing. Drunk, drownded with delights in Almighty God. When God commands us to glorify Him, God is inviting us to be completed. It completes us. Praising Him in His presence. We're enjoying Him when we're in His presence. Now think about this. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit have been glorifying each other for all of eternity they've been glorifying each other for all of eternity so God did not create us and command us to praise him because he was trying to get it he already had it he already had it so why would he command us to praise him to complete us to complete us He wants us to have the joy that He has. God is the ultimate music. God is the ultimate work of art, the ultimate landscape, the ultimate lover. If you're having difficulty with your faith today, struggling, praise Him. Praise Him. Express it to somebody. The thing we we most need is to be able To do is not not just not just say, Well, I, I believe he's this or I believe he's that. We have to wonder. There has to be a wonder about all this. And this is important. We have to praise him voluntarily. In a discipline. There's a discipline to praising God until the praise becomes involuntary. It doesn't come to us naturally. We have to praise him voluntarily until it becomes involuntary in our lives. And I think that's the main thing we need, actually, as people of God. The sense of wonder, it's, it's just, just, you're feeling overwhelmed with it. That's how you handle your past. You know, the things that are gone on in your past, your life. Until his joy is something so thick you can cut it with a knife. You can hear it. You can sense it in your heart. You can, you, can, you, can, you can deal with your past because of Jesus Christ. You can deal with your enemies in Jesus Christ. You can deal with death in Jesus Christ. You can deal with your work in Jesus Christ. See, it's not enough just to believe that he's wise. He's wonderful. He's wonderful. He's a counselor. Uh, you have to praise you have to praise God. Martin Luther talked about this. I, 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 I'm, I have an opportunity to do this. I keep my guitar out in my in the dining room. I just have it there. Mary doesn't like it there, but I don't care. I keep it right there, and I'll get up, and I'll sing for 15 minutes, and that, that makes me happy. It really does. I just sing. I pull out my hymn book, play a hymn, all my other stuff, play, I'll just sit there and sing. And I when you voluntarily praise you know you, you, do it sometime this week. Take, take 15 minutes. I don't care if you use music or whatever you do however whatever you're praising God, but do it this week. Voluntarily. Set some time aside. To, I, I don't mean 10 minutes and I don't mean 4, I mean 15 minutes of Praise. Just start meditating and praising God. I mean, we get so busy with our lives, with all the other stuff. Just take some time for God to praise Him, to thank Him. Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. All the things that come to your mind about who God is, this, this Prince of Shalom. Think about it. Drill down in it. Cherish, treasure Him. Ponder it voluntarily. And when I say voluntarily, discipline yourself to do it. Discipline yourself to do it. Uh, do it, do it, do it. You know, it's just, just do it. Take 15 minutes and do it every day. Do it every day. I'll bet you most of you have never done that. Do it every day. Two days. Three days a week, maybe a month, do it. Eventually, involuntary praise will come because you're training your spirit. And you'll do it when you're walking down the sidewalk. You'll do it when you're getting in your car. It just will come. It will just come. You'll be praising the Lord. You'll feel it. It will become real to you. It will become healthy to you. You'll hear the music, the glory of God. You'll sing and you'll sing praises to God, just like you know that what happened with the shepherds. Glory to God, you know, the Magi, Mary, my soul magnifies the Lord. My soul magnifies the Lord. And you know this. Another truth, and I'll close with this. We always become like the one that we worship. We always become Like the one that we worship, praise will help complete who you are in Christ. Let's pray together. Father, this um, this Christmas, what what depths of truth are here about the incarnation of coming into our world of love? Of sacrifice, of gifting to one another, and what that gifting means as we look at the gifts of a savior. Father, we're praying that as we, we look at this, and even though we just kind of Lord picked this out of scripture, that this this wonderful God, this, this great counselor, uh, help us Lord to wonder. This is so great, so beautiful. It's so other, so powerful to change our hearts and our lives, to help us face this life with confidence, to have sins forgiven, to pass under the blood of Jesus, hope for the future, because what Jesus has done and the privilege we have In this life, of looking out at those who are around us who have hurt us, and to love our enemies and to pray for them that despitefully use us. As we read scripture, we're praising you. As we sing, we're praising you. As we breathe, we're praising you. Because we know in the praise, we'll find ourselves completed in you. So we're thankful for that, our Father. We pray that you'd be with us as we share together in this uh, time of, of, of communion. Uh, so we, we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.